In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Welcome to Holy Cross. We're glad that you've come to the cathedral this morning. Well, how many people here have ever invested in anything? I mean, the stock market, an annuity, or real estate? Put up your hands. How many? All right? Many, many of us, of course. And I'm sure that when you did that, you were looking for a guarantee a guarantee of return on your investment. So I hope that this morning, before this morning is over, that I will be able to show you the one and only fail-safe investment in the cosmos. For this is an investment that is guaranteed by God himself. So let me invite you to take out this yellow handout here this morning. You'd take that out, please. And at the same time, take out your Bibles. And let's see what we can discover together this morning in our third week in the revelation of Jesus Christ to John. Well, last week, we were given a God's eye view of creation in chapters four and five of the book. In sum, everything is under God's complete control. We saw that he is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He was, he is, and he will be almighty. But then we were left to puzzle with this very perplexing truth. God can do what you and I could never do. God is able to make a world where all the freely taken choices of men and women add up to no more nor no less than the end that God desires. And I tell you, it's a good thing we got that information last week for we're now about to take a whole new road in the book of Revelation together. For now, we're going to take and look at man's eye view of the world. This is how the world looks to the press, to the politicians, and to humanity in general. And folks, I promise you, it is both frightening and depressing. <laughs> so if you take out your handout and look with me, look on page three of that handout, if you would. On page three, you can see an outline of the book of Revelation. And there you can see we're starting a new road because we're in chapters 6 through 11 of the book. And we've moved from the picture of God's sovereign control over everything to the characterization of the current history of everything. In other words, the way the world appears to us. And I can summarize it in three words. Things look bad. And further, things are going to spiral from bad to worse until they reach their great cataclysmic end. Well, let's take a closer look. Turn with me in your Bible to chapter 6 of the book of Revelation. Chapter 6, we'll start at verse 1.
You recall that we said last week that the scroll that the sovereign God had in his right hand was, if you will, the history of everything. God's agent of all of history, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, has been counted worthy to break the seven seals and to put them into play. In other words, he is God's agent to bring about God's plan in the cosmos. And that's what's happening here in chapter 6. One by one, as the seals are broken, the nature of human history is exposed to us, one seal at a time. Yes, friends, this is what they call the infamous four horsemen of the apocalypse. And they portray in a very graphic way the fundamental character of the history in which you and I live. Look at 6, verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. So here is the first horseman. What is the most basic thing that you and I can say about human history? What's the most basic bedrock description of human relationships? Power. 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 You don't have to be a postmodern skeptic to validate the truth of that statement, do you? The struggle for dominance defines everything, whether we're talking about petty office politics or terrorism or the Cold War arms race. In this life, one group of people are always seeking to impose their worldview on another. Now, if God be king, the most fundamental thing about history we can say is this. Some person is always seeking to substitute their reign in your life in place of God the king. Now you remember that the next time you run into conflict with somebody else. In big ways and small ways, all of humanity is about exercising dominance over somebody else. Let's move on to verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword, the second horseman. There has not been a moment since man left the garden in which human history was characterized by peace. Bloodshed and violence have marked us and will mark us to the very end. Peace has been taken from the earth. Now me, I was raised in the age of flower children and peaceniks in bell-bottom pants. Some of you are old enough to remember. You know, while their aspirations might have been good, 
Their hopes, somehow, that they would usher in the age of Aquarius were completely without understanding. They were like a bunch of children playing doctor and nurse. Because the wise Christian understands that in this age, there will never be a time where guns, armies, and the police are not needed. Because somebody is always making war, whether big or small. Friends, don't for a minute give heed to utopian politicians that promise you peace. They are false prophets speaking folly and deception. Verse 5, the third horseman. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be the voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. But do not harm the oil and wine. Here's the third characterization of the age in which we live. Famine and hunger. Now, if you lived in John's day, you would instantly recognize the symbology here because the prices that are given are 8 to 13 times above what they should have been in John's day. It is as if you were to go to the store this afternoon and discover a loaf of bread cost 25 to $50. So what is our world like? There is famine and there is hunger. Not universally, not always, and not for everybody. But somewhere around the globe, always somebody is hungry. Verse 7, the fourth horseman. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. That's not Clint Eastwood. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. What is the nature of the world in which we live? Death by calamity spreads across the globe. Whether by earthquakes, rains, floods, nature, or man, calamities befall us. And if you should escape in your own lifetime, then consider yourself fortunate because calamities are the common, though not universal, occurrence. Okay, I want to stop here for a minute. I want you to observe another incomprehensible thing that's going on here. As all these seals are being opened, what is the heavenly court doing? By God's command, they're saying, Come! Are we to understand that God is the author of these evils? No, 
Not at all. Recall that the scroll has been sealed with how many seals? Seven seals, the fullness of sealing. Not one thing gets into this scroll and not one thing comes out of it without God ordaining it to be so. Yet, God is not the author of evil. We won't even see the real author of evil in the book of Revelation until we get to chapter 12. And then the dragon will appear with a vengeance. But what John wants us to understand here is that God is not up in heaven wringing his hands, wondering, how did we get into this mess? He's not hoping that somebody from the Republican or Democratic parties will step in and fix things. Quite to the contrary, God has allowed the course of human events to flow along as it has because he is confident that it will serve all his purposes in the end. Well, when the fifth seal is opened, we're given the fifth characteristic of the present age. And it is this, martyrdom. You see, the world hates the truth. As the world killed our Lord, who was the king of truth and the ultimate proclamation of the truth, so the world will kill and attempt to persecute everyone who speaks the truth. Jesus declared that Abel was the first martyr. Paul said all who desire to live godly in this present age will, not might, will be persecuted. Friends, the honor roll of the martyrs is far from complete. Well, where does this all end up? Well, let's open the sixth seal and find out. It ends up with the great day of the wrath of God Almighty. Though the wicked do not believe it, and though so many public figures in which we have trusted and admired do not act like it, here is the bedrock truth of human history. It is headed for the great day of judgment. When the sixth seal is opened, we see a host of biblical symbols for the end of the world judgment. Humanity standing before the throne. Well, so much for the power of positive thinking. I guess I've blown that out of the water this morning. You see, these six characterizations of human history are not a pretty sight. But wait, there's more. For you see, when the seventh seal is broken, what is inside of the seventh seal? It is six trumpets. And as you read chapters 8 through 9, you see that essentially they repeat the same ground, but they repeat it with a greater amplitude. The intensity of the horrors increases. So what we have here is a spiral of intensity. Now what do I mean by that? 
What I mean is this. What has characterized history in the past and characterizing history in the present will continue to characterize history in the future, but with ever-increasing amplitude. The longer human humanity is on the earth, the greater we are able to refine our wickedness. In World War I, 18 million died. In World War II, 60. What must the future bring? History is spiraling toward its great final climax. Friends, if you take that seriously, this is frightening and horrific. Yet, right in the middle of all this chaos is chapter 7. And it is marvelous good news and comfort for the believer. Turn with me to chapter 7, verse 2. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called out with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on our foreheads. Note what this messenger of the living God has to say. He brings us word from the one who was, who is, and will be almighty. And he says this, Not one single one of these disasters which characterize human history can be unleashed until first the saints of God have been sealed. Now, I want you to see, Christian, what a marvelous hope you have in chapter 7. Well, I'm fairly certain that there aren't but a handful of people here this morning that haven't heard about the mark of the beast. The thing upon the forehead and the forehand, the hands, 666 and all of that. Hollywood movie makers love that stuff. They want us to fear it and pay good money to go see it. It makes for great drama. But Christian, I want you to see here that long before we're even talking about the mark of the beast, we're talking about the mark of the living God. You have, in fact, been marked out as God's own. This is the sure and certain promise of Scripture. Ephesians chapters 1 and 4 says, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Paul declared in 2 Timothy 2, he says, the Lord knows who are his. Jesus said, no one is able to snatch you out of the Father's hand. Amen. Now, this does not prevent you from experiencing these disasters along with the world. But it assures you that through those things, God will preserve you. The second thing I want you to note here is that through this holocaust of calamities, God will fully accomplish his mission in the world, which is to gather for himself from Jew and Gentile 
the full number of people to worship him forever. Now he will do this among the Jews. And once again here in chapter 7, numbers have a symbolic meaning. Twelve is the numbers of the tribes of Israel. Twelve is the number of history. Thousand is a great number. So 12 times 12 times 1,000 gives you 144,000. God has not rejected his people. In verses 9 through 12 of chapter 7, we have the correlative of the 144,000. That is, a people from every tribe and tongue and nation too many even to be counted, all there in the final state of blessedness. Here's the third word of hope. Look at verse 10, chapter 7. We hear what these are saying. They're saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They acknowledge that God and the Lamb are the ones who produced their salvation. Salvation was not by them. It wasn't because of their good works. It wasn't even because of their ability to hang on and be preppers in the midst of disaster. Christian, aren't you glad? Given the magnitude of what is falling upon this world and what is yet to come. Isn't it great your salvation doesn't depend on you? It is underwritten by the eternal decree of God Almighty. And it is accomplished by the indwelling spirit of the Lamb. Finally, look at this, verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Ever since I was a little boy, I've listened to radio preachers debate, will the Christian go through the tribulation? And as these things go, the answer was often, well, the Christian's hope is to be raptured, snatched away, caught up, so as not to have to experience the final great cataclysm. Well, friends, be that however it may, that is not what John is talking about here. Rather, what we find here is a characterization of history as the Great Tribulation. With all its disasters and with all its horrors, that's where you and I are living today. The nature of the world in which you live and which I live is a hostile and disastrous one toward the Christian. But friends, here is the Lord Jesus' promise. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world.
How will that come about? By the eternal decree of God, who always accomplishes his purposes, and because you have washed your robes in the blood of the Lamb. By these two things, you will be part of that great throng who sing the sevenfold praise to God. Well, I started this morning making mention of the biggest and best investment opportunity ever. It is the only endeavor which will survive the calamities of the human condition and the ravages of the enemy. It is the only place where one may invest their time, their talent, and their finances and know with 100% certainty there is a good reward for their investment. This morning, I invite you to invest in the mission of God Almighty. It is to this one thing that we here at Holy Cross are committed. We're not about pews. We're not about paint or buildings or lands or flags or organs or wells or irrigation systems. We're not about coffee and we're not about snacks. We exist for one reason only. Though, of course, we use all these things toward this one end. We exist to rescue God's elect from the calamitous stream of history and help them come safely home to their king. So how can you invest in this program? First of all, wash your robe in the blood of the Lamb. Come to him today. Do not delay. Find your salvation in Christ. Secondly, make his mission your mission. Whether you're a lawyer, baker, or candlestick maker, use the place where God has planted you as your mission field. You see, God has chosen people from every tribe and tongue and nation. God has chosen people in your tribe. And the Spirit will reveal to you in your tribe who is searching for him. You find them. You bear witness to them so that they may come to the king. Thirdly, determine to invest whatever the king has given you into the advancement of his kingdom. You see, the stuff of this world is not the purpose of the mission. But it most assuredly is the means by which the mission will get accomplished. So I invite you today to go all in. This is an investment that brings a guaranteed return of infinite worth.
both now and for eternity. Amen.